Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By rallying any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Carroll is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and welcome to Masters Week. It's my favorite week of the year. I had the privilege of being back on the grounds of Augusta National last Saturday for the final round of the Augusta National Women's Amateur, and as always, it was awesome. Right up to the point where my buddy left me to get soaked to the bone. You'd think that when he was too impatient to stand in line with me at the merchandise shop that he'd wait for me outside the shop when they blew the horn to evacuate the course due to approaching thunderstorms. Or maybe he'd wait where we said, let's meet here. Or he'd be by the exit or right outside the exit. I kept thinking to myself, surely my buddy wouldn't have left and gone back to the car. Surely he'd wait for me here or here or here. By the time one of the security guards said to me, everybody's out, it sunk in. He left me and headed to the car. And by that time, I could see sheets of rain heading my way. It started with a few drops, and seconds later, it was a complete and utter downpour. By the time I did get back to the car, I was soaked to the bone. And there he was, nice and dry, inside the car. So that ended our day at Augusta National, but I digress. It was a great final round at the Women's Amateur. I watched from my phone during our drive home. I was rooting hard for Jenny Bay, who plays her college golf right here in Georgia at the University of Georgia. She came from six shots back going into the final round and finished tied with eventual winner Rose Zhang. One bad shot on the second playoff hole cost her, but she played great and was very gracious in the end. But congrats to Rose Zhang. She was dominating in the first two rounds. Augusta National was its regular breathtaking, as always, and the Azaleas a little past their prime which is a little disappointing when that's the case, but it's Augusta National. Not a blade of grass, and I promise you, not a single blade of grass is ever out of place. I just love being on the grounds there. It's very special to me. You can feel the history. You can feel the tradition. Everything about it is fantastic, and I'll always love to spend time on the 12th tee, just sort of absorbing the 12th hole, and then going over on 13 and and being in the fairway and absorbing the fairway and the azaleas and the green there. What a spectacular place. As you guys know, it is my favorite place on the planet. The other thing that I remain excited about is the show is a finalist for the second year in a row for best golf podcast at the Sports Podcasting Awards. Huge shout out to my guests for getting the show this far. Now I need your help to get the show over the finish line. And I really appreciate your support by going online to sportspodcastgroup.com and then click the awards tab and then vote. You'll see all the categories there available for you to vote on, including Best Golf Podcast. 
I know there's some steps involved here, but they're just trying to make sure that bots aren't out there voting. But like I say, I'd really appreciate your vote and your support. They both mean a great deal to me. Okay, on to tonight's show, and what a great lineup I have in store for you again this week. First up is going to be our Director of Instruction, Tom Patry. He'll be followed by a two-time winner on the PGA Tour, Donnie Hammond. Following Donnie will be LPGA Hall of Famer Jane Blaylock. And then we're going to round things out with the host of the pro show and the guy that started up ReadTheLine.com, one of the best golf handicappers anywhere on the planet, and that's Keith Stewart. So another great foursome in store for you tonight. It's going to be a really fun next 90 minutes, and I thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start things off by reminding you about the Macklemore. It's a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction and will open summer of 2024. That Outpost is another Bill Bergen, Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, which every inch of that cliff edge is filled up with a golf hole. They've got a world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. you got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay-and-play package today. And let's talk about grips, folks. I want to remind you about our friends over at Lambkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Let's talk about our connection to the club, folks. And let's talk about our friends over at Lambkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability, while their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hand shouldn't, though. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit TaylorMadeGolf.com. All right, now back in next on the tee with me, just like he is every other week all season long, is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. You can find Tom at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. Now that the golf season is fully underway just about everywhere, do yourself and your golf game a favor and go see Tom and play your best golf ever in 2023. If you just can't get down to Naples, well, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through that app. You can find Tom online at TomPatry.com and on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel where you can watch over 300 free video playing lessons. Tom won the Division II National Championship in 1981 when he was at Florida Southern University. He is remarkably in their Athletics Hall of Fame. 
He's also in the Sunshine State Conference Hall of Fame, and we are certainly privileged that we get to have him here with us next on the tee. Good evening, TP. How are you, my friend? All right, now back and next on the tee with me, just like he is every other week all season, is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. You guys know you can find Tom at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. Now that the golf season is fully underway just about everywhere, do yourself a favor and your golf game a favor and go see Tom and play the best golf ever in 2023. If you can't get down to Naples, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your swing through that app. You can find Tom online at TomPatry.com and on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget, go subscribe to his YouTube channel where you can watch over 300 free video playing lessons. Tom won the Division II National Championship in 1981 when he was at Florida Southern University. He is remarkably in their Athletics Hall of Fame. He is also in the Sunshine State Conference Hall of Fame, and we are certainly privileged to have him with us again this week here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy, boy! (laughs) Happy Masters Week, Tom. How are you? Chrissy, I'm I'm in heaven. I just... uh... A couple of hours ago, pulled into a place called Augusta, Georgia. Um, wow. Flew to Atlanta. Um, a couple of my um, students, clients, friends picked me up, and they're treating me to a couple of days over here. So I'm in hog heaven out, out there tomorrow morning um, with them for Wednesday and Thursday, and then leaving here Thursday afternoon, driving over to a really kind of dumpy place called Sea Island to fish and play golf for a couple of days. <laughs> Tough to be you, my friend. It's always it's hard be a, to be a Tom. It's, it's going to be a really hard week, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get through it. <laughs> so, okay, so you got clients that you're over there with and friends. Have they been to Augusta National before? No, this is a treat for them. So what happened was uh, the young man who's going to be a freshman in college this year is a student of mine. His mom called me you know, two or three months ago and said, can you make this happen? I want to do this as a gift to my husband and my son. He's graduating from high school, going to college. And my husband, I love him, blah, blah, blah. And I, uh, I called somebody I know that brokers these deals and put it together. And she said, and by the way, you're going with us. Wow. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Jealous yeah, pretty as hell. Cool. Yeah, so pretty cool. when you're over there on the grounds with a first timer, yep. are there things that you want to point out, make sure that they absolutely see what, what's it? What's the thing you got, you got to bring these folks around and say, you got to see this and you got to see that. So when I, I told him at dinner, I said, what do you want to do tomorrow? I said, we said, we want to leave it in your hands. So I said, we're going to get up nice and early, going to have breakfast early and get over there and be, be in the gate. You know, as soon as the gate opens at eight o'clock, I'm going to take them right to the 10th tee. And I want them to walk the back nine with me while there's nobody on it. I want them to walk, you know, down 10 and 11 and through Amen Corner and, and walk the entire back nine with no spectators, no players on it. And let them see the golf holes with an unobstructed view. I think that's so cool to do. I did it the first time I took Denise there ever, my wife there ever. We did it that way. And and not even being that much of a golfer, she was like, this is amazing. This is just an amazing. You know, and you've been there, Chris. It's just an amazing piece of property. And to see those holes unobstructed, in, like you never really can see them unobstructed even on TV uh, in, in their natural beauty, I think is a real privilege. Then we're going to come back up. And let them do their merchandise hunt and get that out of the way. Take them over to the range, that incredible practice facility, and then circle back around. Um, I'm going to meet my good buddy Steve Scott on the putting green at nine o'clock, and Maverick's going to meet Steve, and and Steve's going to give him a little college insight, a little pep talk, and then um, catch up with Freddie at some point and follow him around. And 
to your earlier point, one of my favorite things to do typically during a practice round is either as you're doing it very early in the morning or late in the day after most of the patrons have left. I like to go to the stand, the grandstands behind the 12th tee and just sit there and soak it in for a little while. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Stare at at that green and everything that uh, comes with the 12th hole and the Augusta, I mean, in, in the azaleas over there on 13 by the 13th tee. I just like to just absorb that for a while. And I'll do the same on the fairway at 13. Just let that sort of get burned into my mind. There's nothing more beautiful than those two things. I I agree with that. I mean, I don't think that, you know, I, you know, you know, I both, I've been to Super Bowls. I've been to world series. I've been to Stanley cup playoffs. I've been to a Stanley cup final. I've been to an NBA all-star game, been to a president's cup. I've been to the British. I mean, nothing, Nothing excels and exceeds expectation in my mind in sport, not only in golf, in sport like Augusta National does. It just exceeds all expectation. No matter how beautiful it is on TV, and CBS, listen, they do an incredible job with the broadcast. It's, you know, how good is it on Saturday and Sunday, right, to sit there and watch it at home, especially on the TVs we have today. But, I mean, you've been there, Chris. That that piece of property, you, you can't explain to people how great that piece of property is via TV. You just can't do it. Yeah, it's just no. unbelievable. All right. Yeah. So you mentioned Fred Couples, and I know you're you're good friends with Freddie. You're also a big Seve fan. So is 92 your favorite Masters memory of the year that Freddie won it, or 80 or 83, either of the times that, that Seve won there? What's at the top of your favorite Masters memory? You know, I'm, I'm going to do a reverse on you here. I'm going I'm to throw you a curveball. I mean, all those things and all those masters are special. And, and, you know, I mean, the Adam Scott playoff was special. I mean, the, uh, there's so many things that are special about the wins of different players, but the things that I'll remember the most, uh, about all these masters that I've been privileged in my 64, five years, almost to see as a golfer growing up from age 11, never missed one on TV, never missed one year from age 11 to 65 this year is the Norman collapse against Faldo. I'll, I'll, that thing is burned in my memory. That was so painful to watch. And and the Seve shot on 15 in the water with a simple iron shot going for the green and two that allowed Jack to win that golf tournament. I mean, those those things are the things that I remember the most about the Masters. The, the more the collapses than the victories. So let's take that a step further. Sunday afternoon, late Sunday afternoon. Jordan Spieth is leading the golf oh tournament. My God. Oh my God. He's on the 12th tee <laughs> with a lead in the tournament. You turning it off, you're walking away, you're holding your breath. What are you doing? You know, we, you know, I've talked a lot off the air, pal. We've had a lot of discussions now on my way to work in different mornings. We speak a lot about sports. You and I are baseball fans and certainly golf fans and football fans and just sports fans in general, but nothing, nothing makes me shake my body shake more than watching jordan spieth play golf nothing um i i don't understand jordan spieth and i'm not sure if i'll ever understand jordan spieth but certainly him on the 12th tee at augusta is is makes me nervous (laughs) yes all makes me nervous makes me nervous Tom, as you know, I spent some time with Gary Player last week, and he raised some eyebrows recently when he ranked the Masters last among the four majors because he said it's the, it's the youngest of them, so he, it doesn't have the history that the other three do. And then I was equally as surprised 
when Jack Nicholas said it's his number one to play in, but the U.S. Open as our national championship, he ranks number one. He also ranks the Masters last, he said, because it's not a championship, it's a tournament. Both of those sort of left me a little disappointed. How does Tom Patry rank the four majors? Well, I, I, I think, I think the Gary comments are more sour grapes than anything else. I don't think that I don't give much validity. I know you're a big Gary fan. I don't really share your passion for Gary. Um, I think Gary's just a little hacked off about the Wayne situation and the way that's been handled. And, and I, I think Augusta handled perfectly actually, but, so I, I don't give those comments much validity, but the Jack comments really caught me by surprise. Um, I think that Jack might either alter the way he said it or change the way he said it, or maybe even not say it if Bobby Jones were alive. But I know Jack had tremendous respect for Bobby Jones and to say that it doesn't have the history. Listen, you can't have the history that the British has because it's the oldest you know, championship on the planet. So I understand that comment, but um, to say it's a tournament, and not a championship, I think is a little bit ridiculous. So I'm going to buck Jack on that one just a little bit. And the PGA championship, uh, if we, if we just call a spade or spade has, I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this, but <laughs> ha- has 20 club pros in the field and, and the 20 club pros are taking spots away from 20 world-class players that play for a living. So, uh, you know, I know the Masters is a very small field and it plays past champions and it's not the strongest field in golf. But to, to say it's a, a tournament, and not a championship and say it doesn't have any tradition or any history is uh, is, is a little painful to me. Um, I, I don't know if I can rank championships. I think they're all great in their own right. And I think if you... If you want to put something in the mix and really throw a curve, why well, got to throw TPC in there at this point? Because although it's, it would be the youngest of all of them, it certainly has the strongest field in golf on a very difficult golf course and has produced some incredible and most dramatic finishes by some great champions. So I don't know if I can rank them. You know, I'm a, I'm a big open championship and as in terms of British open championship fan, huge. Um, I certainly have a lot of respect for the U.S. Open as our national championship, although I'm not a big USGA fan. At all, uh, the PJ Championship, I think, in modern times with 20 club pros in the field is missing the boat a little bit. And the Masters, to me, because of my respect for Bobby Jones and, and what he meant to me, he's one of my heroes, certainly, you know, is up there with every other one of those. So I don't put him in an order. I don't think I could possibly put him in an order. But I'll tell you what, Chris, can you imagine an April without a Masters? No. Yeah, so that's that's my comment. The added length on 13 this year, Tom, the hole's now going to play about 545, 550. It's still easily reachable in two, but it's not going to be the driver pitching wedge that we've seen more recently. (laughs) Guys will have to take a little bit longer iron into that green. To me, that makes it a little more of the risk-reward that I think the hole was intended to be. Your thoughts on the added length there? Well, that's exactly why I've always said that you roll the ball back, Chris. I mean, you got to roll the ball back, right? I mean, you know, you can't you can't have the ball going that far, right? I mean, we both agree <laughs> on that, right? Um, yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Um, I think it certainly presents different challenges now because when you're going to drive it out there now, you know, they, they could drive, you know, from the previous tiers, you know, they could drive it around the corner, not only to a shorter iron, but to a flatter lie. And now where they're going to drive it in, in many cases, 
they'll have not only a longer club in their hand, but they'll have a more side hill eye. So that changes the whole dynamic of the second shot into that green guarded by that hazard. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, I think it's a great change. I mean, the, for, for modern golf, um, listen, like you said, it's still reachable, but now there's a lot more drama in the second shot, depending on how that ball's sitting on that side hill eye and the pressure involved on Sunday coming down the stretch. So I think it's a great addition. Um, they, you know, they never cease to amaze us how they come up with something every year that makes it just a little bit better. I, I just read yesterday and saw a post by Faldo about the, re, the rebuilt seventh green, too. Um, I don't know if you saw that or not, but they've now rebuilt the seventh green. So when they hit that ball above the hole in the right front hole location, the ball will not necessarily spin back down and funnel back down to a kick in. Um, some balls will get hung up above the hole. Now you have a 15 footer straight down the hill, which if you ever stood on the back of that green, you could probably put it down into the fairway a hundred yards. So they continue to do great things there, you know, and, like all golf courses, they're going to be landlocked at some point. At some point, but they they continue to just figure things out there. That's what makes them so great. I'm switching gears a little bit. You and I were talking earlier this week about the Netflix show Full Swing. Before we get into specifics about what we saw from individual players, I just kind of wanted to get your general thoughts about the show. I loved it. I hope they do five or six more of them, Chris. I mean. I think that the, you know, when, you, when, you, when the public can get kind of inside the personal aspect of players and how, how they're all very different and how they all think about things differently, um, I think it's entertainment. You know, I mean, I think it's also education for the public. It's not the – they don't see the golf pro necessarily, the professional golfer, as a, as a robotic image that just kind of goes through the motions every time, hits perfect shots and has a perfect life and a perfect wife and a perfect jet and a perfect – you know they really see that there's this kinks in the armor and they're human, just like, just like they are at the club, but respective to their levels of, of skill. Um, so I think they did a wonderful job and, and, and really made the golf professional, the tour player, much more human. We got a lot of insight on Brooks Kepka and his mindset and why he decided Wee-wee! to take the money, <laughs> why he took the money and ran over to live. I was surprised Tom about, you know, learning about him losing confidence in himself and, and the injuries and all of that sort of thing, being a four-time major champion and so quickly to give up on his chances to win again. I thought that was a little, I don't know, a bit of a head scratcher. I was surprised to learn that. And do you think he might be having some regrets now that he actually went out and won this past weekend on the live tour? You know, Brooke, uh, Brooks, I, I think really portrayed himself poorly in that episode. I mean, my injury, my injury. I don't know if he knows this not, but there was a guy named Ben Hogan that was hit by a bus, Chris, going 60 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Uh, and they told him he would never walk again, forget playing golf. And I think if I recall, he not only walked again and played again, but he won majors again. Um, so maybe, maybe Brooks needs to stare back at the history books a little bit and learn something. But I think it goes back to what you and I have talked about off air a lot, you know, participation trophies and, uh, and, the entitlement and, and some of the the crying and the whining by the modern athlete at times is really, and maybe I'm just, I'm just dating myself as an old dinosaur that's 65 and I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I've told, I've told, I'm told often by some of my junior players, I don't understand. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I beg, I beg the difference. I think I understand pretty well, but I mean, I thought the portrayal, the self portrayal there was really, 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 uh, I'll just say it was soft and I'll leave it at that. 
thing on the on the live topic. I saw DJ playing a practice round wearing his four aces team shirt. <laughs> Do you think we could see the live players out there wearing their team gear come Thursday or or might they get a visit from Fred Ridley or one of the other members and quietly told, you know, we'll, we'll have none of that here. I, I don't know. I don't you know, Augusta. Augusta is pretty. Um, <laughs> the the new Augusta, I call it the new Augusta, has seemed to become a lot more user friendly and a lot more liberal than the old Augusta. Um, and I, I think they are um, much more inviting and much more open. Uh, and I don't want to use the word softer because I don't think that's the right term. But um, I, I don't see them telling him no to just about anything. I think that the they, they've kind of stayed. They've stayed kind of in the corner on the live topic and, and stayed away from it, uh, and not really taken much of a stance on it at all. So, I think they look at that logo as uh, just like um, player wearing a ping logo or a Titleist logo or a UBS logo or any other kind of logo. I, I don't think if they, if they were going to make a standard comment, I think it would have been made before Monday. In a, in a private way to each player, but obviously they didn't do that. And I don't think you're going to see a change. If one of those live players were to go on and win, please, think, please, 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 please. If they do, please, please. If they win. Do you think it gets celebrated any less? I mean, perhaps, you know, CBS cuts away to the start of the movie. Heidi, do we have a Heidi <laughs> moment if that were to happen or, or is it even bigger? You know, Jay Monahan ends up in therapy come Monday morning. Um, Tom Patch, you end up in therapy. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I can promise you that. <laughs> if if I'm, I'm going to say this out loud, and I'm going to I'm going to cringe as I'm saying it. I'm glad this isn't TV. It's it's only a podcast. But if I'm going to use this name, if Patrick Reed, Reed were to win the Masters again oh. as a live player, uh, you might need another director of instruction on your show because I might jump <laughs> off. A, I might jump off a building. Um, you know, I mean, the player obviously I think is the most. The two players the most dangerous to me right now on the live side are just always going to be Dustin Johnson and and uh, and Cam Smith. Um, I I I I'm going to say this. I hope not. I hope not. I just you know I am so again. I, I guess I'm dating myself again. I'm so anti live. I'm so anti Greg Norman. I'm so anti the whole prospect of what's going on. I'm so anti. The Saudi backing. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to get into politics, but I think. I think I'm clear in what I just said. I, I just hope not. That's all. So, the two guys that you named, obviously Patrick Reed and and Cam Smith. I mean, I think Cam Smith is a is a likable guy. I mean, I, I loved his press conference. I mean, he seems like a good guy, and he, he obviously took the money and ran and all that sort of stuff. But he's. He's sort of a likable guy. I mean, I think we all liked him last year, you know, prior to this decision. And he and he's played really well there. I, I don't I don't feel and maybe this is just me. I don't feel like if he were to win, that's awful. I think if Patrick Reed wins, oh. I, I think it's the you know the apocalypse and, and the whole world comes to an end. Yeah, I, I got to take I, I was becoming such a huge Cam Smith fan. I mean you know just just the whole persona and the way he played the game and that he didn't really drive it that straight but he hit great recovery shots and and you know my mantra short game short game short game well man who had a better short game you know a year two years ago than cam smith and, and so many different events 
where he just pulled shots out of his rear end and putted the ball like like Jesus. I mean, it's just unbelievable how good he rolled the golf ball. So I was a huge fan when he went over to the dark side with Darth Vader. I I, you know, I just, I cried, cried. I mean, I, that was the one guy that I was really starting to really, really kind of wrap my arms around and really like watching play golf and phone for. So that was very disappointing to me. And, and I understand what you're saying, but at the end of the day, he still plays for the other side, as far as I'm concerned. He's a traitor. <laughs> Indeed. I, our new segment this year is Tom's tip of the week. And Tom, I, I need some help. How, how do I hit a, a, the driver straighter? I find that I am letting it leak out to the right a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to do a better job of making sure that I don't come like, like they say, come over the top. I try to keep that right shoulder tucked in where it's supposed to be and come underneath from the inside and all that sort of stuff. But I'm leaking a little right. How can I hit straighter drives? Well, I think I think we have to understand, first of all, Chris, is that there's two contributing factors. There's path and there's face. So by you trying to tuck that right shoulder in and self-diagnosing, which is called malpractice in other in other areas, and you get sued for that, um, you are probably coming from the inside beautifully, but leaving the face open. I have not given a golf lesson to a club member or a amateur student other than an advanced, what I would call a very advanced amateur in the last two seasons where I haven't checked their grip and found the club too much in the palm of their left hand and not enough in the fingers of their left hand, which would allow them not to square the club face up and have any, any release, if you will, at the, at the, at the bottom of the golf swing. So if I were, if I were Chris Mascaro and I had that problem <clears throat> and I had self-diagnosed and corrected my right shoulder being under whatever the hell that means exactly, um, I would make sure that my left hand grip was on the club strong enough and deep enough in my fingers so I could square the club face and, and make my face and path a little bit more friendly with each other, hit the ball right down the middle of the fairway, which at your skill level and talent level, you're so capable of because you're such a great athlete and you should be able to do that. I'm glad you recognize that. That's great. I do recognize that. Absolutely. I do. I do. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners the, you once drive, again. You drive the golf ball almost as well as Jackie Bradley Jr. hits the baseball. <laughs> almost as well. That's a really low blow. That's <laughs> not nice. You are not a nice man, Tom Patrick. I guess I, I, I guess I'll still let you remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with you, though I, I find you. myself I not wanting so to. Listen, let's let's do this on Masters Week. Let's celebrate this together, and, and let's let all the listeners know the truth. It doesn't matter where they can find me. They can find me on Next on the Tee, which is the greatest golf podcast on the airwaves, bar none, not even a close second out there, because Chris Mascaro has the best guests, does the best research, has the best questions, is the most educated, and why the hell hasn't the Golf Channel or ESPN figured that out yet? Because Mascaro is the best. That's 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 all you need to know. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, all right. I, I'll let you back out of the doghouse. <laughs> I appreciate you, TP. I love you, my friend. Uh, enjoy your time over at Augusta National. I'm jealous as hell, and yeah, thanks, uh, I look forward to hearing all about it. Tell Donnie I said hi. I will absolutely do that. Thanks. Take Chris. care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Good night, buddy. See you, Tom. That is the great Tom Patry again at Tom Patry Golf on Instagram. TomPatry.com is his website. And like I always like to say, make sure you subscribe to that YouTube channel. 
So many great lessons available from Tom for you right there. And they don't come better than that guy, my friends. Um, so lucky to have him as part of the show. We'll catch up again with him in a couple of weeks. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Donnie Hammond, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX Full Face Wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And they're offering 10% off their brand new range of training aids. I visited their booth and loved their breaking ball putting mat, which allows you to practice breaking putts at home on a traditional putting mat. I've got mine right here in my studio. They've just launched their own golf glove, and they're offering Next on the T listeners 10% off the whole range. Use code CHRIS10 for 10% off. That offer expires March 31st of this year. Check out their great array of training aids online at meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabric. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick-dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T dot com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. All right, now back in next on the tee, making his 11th appearance with me here on the show is Donnie Hammond. Let me remind you about Donnie's background. He is from Frederick, Maryland, which is in the northern part of the state near the Virginia and West Virginia borders. Played his college golf at Jacksonville University, where he was a four-year letterman. As a sophomore, he finished seventh in the 1977 Sun Belt Championship. As a senior, he would win that tournament by six strokes. He would go on to lead Jacksonville University to two Sun Belt Conference championships. He is a charter member of the Jacksonville University Sports Hall of Fame. Donnie earned his tour card by being the medalist at the 1982 PGA Tour qualifying tournament at TPC Sawgrass, winning that tournament by a record 14 strokes. Played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 1998, won twice on the regular tour at the 86 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic and the 1989 Texas Open, where he came within one stroke of the all-time scoring record by shooting a four-round total of 258 at Oak Hill. He won once on the Corn Ferry Tour at the 2000 Lakeland Classic. Donnie also won the 1982 Florida Open. And over the course of his playing career, he's had 42 top 10 finishes. He's made the cut 70% of the time that he's teed it up, and I'm honored. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Donnie, happy Masters Week, my friend. How are you? Doing great, Chris. My favorite week of the year. <laughs> Mine too. And oh, by the way, 
Happy belated birthday, my friend. How how is uh, how was the birthday? Oh, I tell you, I had one of the best birthdays in the last ten years. We uh, awesome. caught my little grandson's t-ball game. Then we hit the pool. Then we came back to the house and barbecued. It was just it was a perfect day. Didn't didn't hit a golf ball, but still had a great time. Ah, good for you, my friend. Donnie, you tweeted out a little earlier today that you were going to convey tonight what you're working on. So what are you working on? I tell you, I'm working on some pretty cool things, Chris. I think I'm going to try to play some tournaments this year, go to Colorado, try the Senior Open. What I'm trying to do is get the club out a little wider, get my hands a little higher at the top of the backswing, and it kind of restricts your hip turn a little bit but it get, keeps the club out in front of you like I used to do with Phil Ritson. He used to always try to keep the club out in front of you instead of behind you because, you know, you don't want to be hitting a lot of right-to-left shots out there. You want them coming in very soft, kind of like you need to do up at Augusta. And speaking of out at Augusta, I believe you played in the Masters four times and made the cut all four times. Talk about what it's not only like to play in the tournament, but just being inside the ropes at Augusta National. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you start thinking about it a month or so before uh, that you're going to be up there. You, you think of, you know, all the past masters that you watched on television and what kind of shots you're going to need. Uh, it's almost like by the time you get there that week, you're, you're basically a little tired out just from thinking about it so much. So that, that kind of helps you when you're, you can go into it and you're, you know, a little bit relaxed early in the week. But, I mean, it's one of those weeks that the practice rounds are fun. Uh, just seeing the people, there you seem to smile a lot more inside the ropes. A lot of happy people in the galleries, and hopefully, you know, if the weather's good, it's you know, there's hardly a better tournament in the world than to be able to play the Masters. Do you remember your first drive up Magnolia Lane? Yeah, I sure do. What was yeah, that been, like? Uh, it was. I felt like I was Arnold Palmer. I'm heading up Magnolia Lane, and I'm thinking, this is going to be such a great week, and you know, you just don't know what to expect. You know, you're going to be nervous, but just the beauty. I mean, the grass, everything's manicured. It's, uh, you know, the flowers are out. They, they seem to somehow get the azaleas blooming, and the, all the all the flowers out there seem to hit the, at that time of year. And it's it's just a gorgeous place, and. You know, once you get inside the gates, it's, you know, you're you're taken pretty well care of. The, the food is great. And, the you know, the golf course is just in fabulous condition every year. Did you hang out around the club in the evenings after all the patrons went home and soak up everything that you could? Because I'll tell you what, they'd have to kick me out of there every night. You know what? I became a wine drinker about 15 or 20 years ago after I had played the last tournament. But if I was a wine drinker back then and knew that the wine list they had at Augusta, I really would have hung out a lot longer in the evenings with some of the members and maybe some of the other pros that enjoyed wine. But uh, I didn't seem to have dinner there in the evenings, just uh, some great lunches and probably got out of there, you know, before it got dark in the evenings. Donnie, going into the final round in 86, you were one shot back of Greg Norman and you're tied with. Seve and Bernhard Langer and, and Nick Price. Norman and Price end up being in the last group on Sunday. You and Langer are in the second to last group. Kite and Ballesteros are 
a group ahead of you, and then Nicholas and Lyle are three groups ahead of you. You and Langer, you you guys got off to kind of an even start on the front nine, didn't make a charge, but uh, things are obviously going on around you guys. At, at what point did you start hearing the roars and start to think to yourselves, something special must be going on up there? I think it was around the 10th hole, maybe about the time Jack started making birdies and eagles. He must have been three holes ahead of me and Bernhard. So he was, I think it was probably around 10 when you could start hearing it. When you start getting down a little lower on the golf course, like where the 10th green is, the 11th tee, then the sounds start coming through the, the pine trees. And it's like every hole you could basically tell where Jack was. You could see the leaderboard where his name finally got up on the leaderboard and he started to contend. Uh, and you knew that maybe this ha- was happening on 13 or that was happening on 15. I-, I pretty much remember the eagle on 15. I knew I knew that sounded like an eagle on that. And, you know, I was like one over par then. And I was, I don't know, I, I, I still maybe had a chance to win, but I, I was kind of half trying to win and half a spectator thinking, you know, what, what was going on that day with uh, Jack making that charge. When you finished, Nicholas was already done, and Norman had a chance to still win it on 18 with a birdie. A par would have sent he and Jack into a playoff. It's his second shot famously into the gallery on 18, ends up making bogey. When you were done, did you go back to 18 to see how it was going to play out, or were you still turning in your card when Norman finished? Yeah, we were we were turning in our card right about then. I didn't really see his shot. Um. I knew that, you know, there was going to be a chance for a playoff, but there was, there was a lot going on. I was um, trying to figure out where I'd finished and wanted to make sure I was in the top 24. So I really wasn't able to take in, you know, the end of it, end of the day and and what was transpiring there with between Jack and Greg Norman. But it was, uh, you know, when I got to watch it a couple months later, it, you know, I, I just realized what a great tournament that was. Did you stick around any of the other three times to see how the the tournament was going to play out or when you were done, was it time to move on? Yeah, I think, I think the other times I played, I would go back to the house that we were renting and, and watch the end of the tournament on TV. I think I remember specifically watching Larry Mize chip in. I think I was back at the house for that. Uh, but usually, yeah, I wasn't usually one that, you know, hung around a long time after the round. You played a memorable practice round with Mr. Palmer. I love the picture you have posted from that round on your Facebook page. What did you learn from him during the nine holes that you guys got to play together? Yeah, Arnie was great. He was, um, he was playing by himself and then he came off the ninth green and I was, I was getting ready to go home actually standing on the putting green and he invited me to play the back nine. And he really took his time. It probably took us two and a half, three hours to play the back. He was showing me all the lines off the tee, you know, on 10, started here with a draw. 14 was kind of an important hole off the tee. And then, you know, he showed me where all the flags were going to be in most of the days, not specifically which day, but where they would be, you know, all four days. And then we would hit putts to certain areas of the green. And he would say, you know, this putt's a little quicker than you think. If you get it back here, like on 13, you know, you can watch guys putt on 13 and every pro sometimes misses it to the right when they have 
you know, when it's on that front right and you're coming down, you miss it right. And it always rolls three or four feet by. So he, you know, he gave me some pretty good tips and, uh, you know, being one shot back on in the last round, I actually started thinking about what I would, how I would thank Arnold after I won the tournament. But since I didn't get to do that, uh, I still have that, uh, I still have those remarks handy, I guess. <laughs> did you play in the par three tournament? Yeah. Yeah, sure did. How'd you do? And did, did you ever end up, uh, accidentally on purpose, knocking a ball in the water, or get yourself DQ'd because you didn't want to win it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was trying to win. Actually, I was, I thought I'm going to be the first guy to win the par three, then win the tournament. I think everybody still tries to win and break that jinx. But what I really wanted to do was get like a closest to the pin on one of the holes where, you know, you could win. I think you could win real nice pieces of crystal back then if you were closest. But a lot of times, you know, when you're playing, 80, 90, 110 yard holes. Sometimes you have to make a hole in one to, you know, tie somebody else for closest because there's a lot of shots hold out in the par three tournament, but it was, it was a blast. That's uh, that was a fun family time when, you know, the little kids would caddy and you'd get with your buddies and go out and play nine holes and just have a, have a really good time. The 12th hole there at Augusta National is one of the shortest par threes on tour, but always one of the toughest you hear referred to as the the shortest par four in golf. What's it like standing on that tee box trying to figure out what club you're going to hit? That is one of the trickiest par threes I think you can play, you know, like seven at Pebble Beach. But because you're standing there and the wind, it'll be moving around three different directions over the course of five minutes when you're trying to pull a club, you know, when the pins on the left over that bunker or left of the bunker, it's a much easier shot. But then that back bunker comes into play. You know, the guys that make the big numbers are when the flag is back, right. And, you know, sometimes guys will be posing over an eight or nine iron thinking it's absolutely perfect. It'll hit on the bank and come right back into the water. and then you then you have basically as tough a shot on your third shot as you did on the off the tee, so it's it's really tricky. You got to play a little bit conservative, but it all depends where you are in the tournament, you know, for how aggressive you're going to be off that off that shot. Would would you ever on Sunday? I'm always dumbfounded, Donnie. On Sunday, the, the pin is always on the right hand side. To me. I've heard forever that the play, no matter where the pin is, is over the front bunker. You know, land the ball in the middle of the green, take your three and go to 13. But invariably on Sunday with that pin on the right, some guy is going to pull a nine iron and try to go at that. And more often than not, it ends up in Ray's Creek. I I just never understand why anybody would ever shoot at that pin because it seems like your chances are going to go right into Ray's Creek at that point. You, you would have, you would have helped about. 15 people if you would have had been their caddy and mentioned that that let's play it 25 feet left of the hole because you know there's been some birdies there on Sunday I don't remember birdies that have maybe won a player the the tournament but I remember 10 or 12 players that have made five or sixes and just knocked them completely out of the tournament actually the the year Tiger won three or four years ago uh you know, two of the guys were right there. I think Tony Finau and uh, somebody else, but, Brooks you know, they yeah. both made, yeah, was it Brooks? Yep. 
Yeah. And they, you know, they make five or six where Tiger's over there waiting for him to play their next shot. And he's 30 feet from, from the hole. And, you know, he just cruises on after that and, you know, knocked two of the guys out that year. Donnie Gary player and Jack Nicholas have both said recently that they'd rank the Masters fourth among the majors, mostly because it doesn't have the long history that the other three have. Where do you rank the Masters among the majors? Well, when I was playing, it was my favorite. It was my favorite major, and it was probably the one that I wanted to win the most. Uh, as I look back, I would, I think I would probably have won, wanted to win the Open Championship either over in Scotland or England, and then then maybe the Masters and then maybe the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open was always so difficult that, I don't know, it just didn't fit my game. You had to be really smart and patient. Those weren't two of my uh, main features of my game back in the day, I guess you could say. But the um, So that one was really tough. But I, I love the Open and I love the Masters. The PGA was, you know, really similar to – a lot of other tour events where you could go out there and shoot 13 or 14 under par conditions were a little softer and it was, um, it was a little more like a regular PJ tour event, but, the but the, but the open championship and the masters, those, those were definitely my favorites. Donnie, you know, I got to get a space question in here. Every time you're part of the show, the astronauts were just announced for the Artemis II mission next year to fly around the moon, just like they did back in the day on Apollo 10. Are you excited to uh, to watch uh, the Artemis series as we make our way back to the moon? Yeah, I, I you know, it, it seems, you know, SpaceX is getting so consistent with their launches, first stage landings. It just seems like every three or four days there's a successful mission. But I still get nervous you know, watching a man, a manned launch, uh, whether it's SpaceX or NASA. So, you know, I'm really excited about that. It's, it's going to be a lot of progress being made on that mission. And it's, it's kind of cool to see the technology that's developing with the spacesuits. I remember you, you know, mentioned about the day when the spacesuit pictures came out and I had to check into that. It's really cool. The technology that's being developed towards space like it always has really that that we can bring back you know to you know normal citizens down the road whether it be you know whatever endeavor you know that they can use but uh, a lot of a lot of discoveries with space and it's it's been real helpful donnie remind our listeners what you're doing now well i'm actually i'm starting to gear up my golf game i'm going to try to play some tournaments this year i've uh, been away for a couple of years uh doing some real estate i'm still you know, doing real estate here in Florida, DonnieHammond.com. If you're ready to uh, move out of uh, Wisconsin and come down here in the wintertime, I'll find you a nice place near a golf course. But um, I think I'm going to try to play play a little more this year and do, do some traveling. That's awesome. I can't wait to watch you out there playing on the Champions Tour. Hopefully we get to see that happen real soon. Let our listeners know again, how can they stay up to date with you on social media as well? Well, I'm on Twitter. I, I, you know, do some politics, some golf, but it's kind of fun. Uh, at Donnie Hammond and then DonnieHammond.com for the real estate. Uh, it's just, uh, it's kind of fun. Little, little mixture of things. And I'm just having a ball down here in Orlando. And I'm really looking forward to a great tournament this week at Augusta. 
Well, Donnie, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a treat to get to spend some time with you and hear your stories and your insights. I hope, uh, first of all, I hope we get to see you on a leaderboard on the Champions Tour <laughs> real soon, and then we get to have you come back on the show as well. Uh, it's a pleasure being with you. I always enjoy the show. You're a great host, and you know I love love being on the show with you. So anytime, anytime you want, I'll come in and give you a few thoughts. I appreciate you, Donnie. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. You too. See you, Donnie. That's a great Donnie Hammond, folks. It doesn't get better than that. And a guy that I am very excited to hear is going to be out there on the Champions Tour again this season. Very excited to see his name on the leaderboard and out there competing. Donnie's a great guy and just one of my favorites. Like I say, he's been on the show now 11 times. That tells you how much I think of and appreciate Donnie. He's a great guy and a great player. And uh, like I say, hopefully he's on the top of a leaderboard on the Champions Tour here very soon. Before I get to my next guest, Jane Blaylock, I want to remind you about Two Under, men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXTONT20, so next on T20, at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com, they're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. All right, now back and next on the tee with me is LPGA Hall of Famer Jane Blaylock. Let me remind you about Jane's background. She is from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, played her college golf at Rollins College down in Winter Park, Florida, speaking of Orlando, where she graduated with her degree in history. She was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 1977. She won the New Hampshire Amateur Championship three times. She won the Florida Intercollegiate Championship in 1966 and was the New England Amateur Champion in 1968. Turned pro in 69 and was named the LPGA Rookie of the Year. She got her first win on tour here in Atlanta at the 1970 Lady Carling event. She was named the most improved golfer on tour in both 1970 and 71. Jane won the inaugural Dinah Shore Colgate Winner's Circle Tournament, which was the richest prize ever on the LPGA Tour at the time. She would go on to win the Colgate Triple Crown in 1975 and 77. She teamed with Raymond Floyd to win the Mixed Championship in 1978. She holds the professional golf record for most consecutive cuts made at 299. In 1983, she became only the seventh player in LPGA Tour history to earn a million dollars 
in her career. She was named the 1985 Comeback Player of the Year, coming back from a herniated disc in her back. In all, Jane won 27 times on the LPGA Tour and four more times over on the Japanese Tour. Like I say, she was in, inducted into the Legends Hall of Fame in 2014, the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame in 2018, and I'm very honored. She is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jane, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, it's my pleasure. Wow, I love intros like that. <laughs> You've done a lot, so good for you. <laughs> Jane, it's been a little bit since we had an opportunity to catch up. What's been going on with you so far here in 2023? Well, it's our uh, you know women's, our PGA women's clinics are going strong, and that's my primary focus. So we host, um, you know, 12 events around the country, uh, engaging, uh, you know, top female executives from a variety of companies. We're so fortunate uh, to pick up a, uh, AIG as a presenting sponsor. We have Fidelity, Investments, MetLife, Bright House, Callaway Golf is a great supporter, just picked up Liberty Mutual. So we, we are fortunate to have these great, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies who are realizing that, uh, uh, the game of golf is important to women and their advancement in the corporate world. And you do a wonderful series every week, four Fridays. Tell our audience what uh, you come out with every week. Yeah, I mean, that's a fabulous. It really is a state of the art newsletter. Um, it incorporates many tips from our the best LPGA and PGA women professionals. It gives you a recap of all the tours, but some up close and personal on some really fascinating women. Uh, the, the recent one, uh, we were in Phoenix uh, with American Express doing a special clinic for them. And uh, my New Hampshire uh, native uh, partner, uh, Tina Toombs, uh, you know, was a kind of spearheaded that clinic for us. And uh, it was really fun because uh, the two of us did an exhibition together. And uh, Sue Fracker, who handles all of our marketing, and I mean, she's a creative genius and, uh, you know, is the author of that Four Fridays. And, uh, you know, we have so many subscribers and it's just uh, I enjoy reading the newsletter. I, I read a lot and I learn so much from our great, uh, you know, LPGA and PGA coaches. I never stop learning. Jane, speaking of the growth of the women's game, here we are. It's Masters Week. Back in the mid 70s, you lobbied for a women's Masters tournament. And with Augusta <laughs> National having the women's amateur final being played out there. We've got female members at Augusta National now. And like I say, the growth on the women's side has just seemed to be exploding over the last several years. Could we be inching towards a women's master's tournament? Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm going back in the time machine in the 70s, but we had what we called a women's master's. It was uh, in Moss Creek and Hilton Head and the master's group, Cliff Roberts, uh, being behind it, filed a lawsuit uh, to uh, disallow us to use the name Women's Masters. And I'll never forget, uh, on behalf of the LPGA, I went to Augusta to testify uh, against Clifford Roberts and Arnold Palmer. And uh, does it surprise you to know that we didn't win? (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was Northwestern Mutual that was sponsoring it. And the name was Women's Masters. Um, you know, Sally Little actually holed out from a bunker to win that tournament. And uh, then we weren't allowed to use that name anymore. So we tried. Um, I don't I don't foresee a Women's Masters in the professional scene. 
I think they have uh, totally invested in the women's amateur. And uh, you saw the size of the galleries. You know, you had uh, you know network television. So I think that uh, the group of the masters is kind of uh, checking their box as far as doing something for women. Jane, switching gears a little bit, you wrote a book in 1977 titled The Guts to Win. Billie Jean King wrote the intro to the book. And in there, you talk about the problems and the prejudices that you and other female athletes had to deal with at the time. Talk about your decision to write the book and what we're going to learn about when we read it. Oh, gosh, you know, you're, we're going back right to, to the to the 70s. Um, at least I have recall. Um, you know, it was just that the, the sponsorship was suspect. Um, you know, it was so hard. You talk about women's sports at that time, and no one wanted to talk about women's sports, although we had huge galleries, uh, particularly at the, you know, the Dinah Shore was uh, that time, you know, the Colgate, and then it was Nabisco, and, you know, then it's it's now it's Chevron. We're going to Houston in in, in a couple weeks for that tournament. But um, you know, it was a significant challenge. I mean, uh, you didn't have the uh, you know the benefit of women's soccer, women's lacrosse, and what happened to the NCAA women's basketball this weekend. Uh, I understand that the uh, ticket prices were more expensive than the men's. So I think we've come a long way, baby, as they would say. But it was honestly, it was it was uh, it was fun of uh, being part of that um, that group that pushed forward. And uh, I look in the mirror and I go, wow, you know, we we did a lot of good things to create opportunities for the young women of today, and it's so well deserved and uh, and and so overdue. And Jen, you mentioned the dinosaur and going all the way back to. 1972, you won that first Colgate Dinosaur event. And, and that event, many people say it was actually transformative for the LPGA and the way women's golf was perceived. Do you remember how, how did that transform the way golf was perceived on the LPGA? Oh, it, I mean, it was, it was totally a groundbreaking event. And that, uh, you know, we're on national TV. We had Dinosaur and her friends you know, some no names like Bob Hope and Frank Sinatra that became became involved in that. And, uh, you know, the prize money was double, probably triple of all the other events. So uh, it just was such big news for the LPGA. And David Foster, who was the uh, CEO of Colgate Palmolive at the time, just really wanted to put women's golf on the map. So he did it in the right way. So it was prize money. We all participated in commercials. Uh, I'd say, oh, seven or eight of us were on national TV with commercials. I was the Colgate Palmolive woman with Madge, the manicurist. I'll never forget two days of filming in New York. But it was just, it, it was huge. I mean, the attention that it brought to women's golf. And that was a single changing um, element, I think, in uh, taking the LPGA from a group of kind of, um, you know, barnstormers supported by local chamber of commerces and uh, to um, to an entity that was going to receive uh, excellent corporate support. And then you mentioned Palm Olive and Imagine for people in my generation, <laughs> our generation. We all remember that commercial. And to your point, having done it, I, I read that you spent two days with Madge with your hands in, in Palm Olive. What was that like? Well, I now it brought a whole new uh, 
attention to to attention to detail. You know, I thought, okay, we did this. This is done. Oh no, the flower arrangement need to be set over one quarter of an inch, and then it was. <laughs> Honestly, it was a, a 30 second commercial. And seriously, it was two days, but it was, uh, you know, voice inflection, every little thing. And it was maybe I dip, didn't dip my hands quite dip deeply enough into the Colgate palm olive, or maybe it was too shallow, but it was, uh, it, it was amazing. And it really, it gave me uh, a whole new appreciation of anyone. Any actor, actress, anyone that does commercials, it's uh, I'm sure they're rewarded uh, financially very well. And they deserve to be because it is an arduous process. <laughs> Jane, we talked a little bit about this the last time you were on the show. But in 1978, Leroy Neiman painted a picture of you. It's one of the all time great paintings in golf. I'd have it framed in my office if my wife would let me get away with it. <laughs> It's still up for purchase on his website, LeroyNeiman.com. Did you pose for that? Did he use a picture or a photograph to do it? How did that come about? Well, I got to know Leroy uh, from uh, a dinner, a, a sports dinner in New York. We were seated at the same table and we got chatting and I had already purchased a few of his, um, of his, uh, you know, serographs because I was a fan of his and he was quite enthralled. And he invited me. Uh, he his studio was just above the Cafe des Artistes in New York, and he invited me to a studio. And of course, who wouldn't accept that invite? And we got to talk. And he uh, he explained to me. You know, he said uh, there are athletes. Uh, you know, some can be painted, some are paintable, and some I really want to paint. And I was one of those fortunate ones. And so it wasn't a pose, but we spent quite a bit of time talking. And he reviewed numerous photos. So it was a kind of a, a combination of a lot of things. But uh, I have the original oil hanging in my condominium in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is where I'm speaking to you from right now. And it's uh, talk about a treasured, uh, you know, piece of art. And um, and he was such a wonderful, wonderful person. And we became, you know, I was visit him on every trip to New York. We became friends and, uh, yeah, and he produced a few prints for me, which I uh, have, uh, you know, given to a few of my friends and donated to some charitable auctions as well. And Jane, speaking of art, and I know how tight knit you all were on the LPGA tour back in the, the 70s and the 80s. In 1979, Jefferson Starship had a hit song titled Jane. When you guys were traveling around playing on tour, how many times did that song end up on a jukebox when you and your peers were out and about? Uh, not nearly enough. <laughs> no, and I, you know, listen to my my Sirius XM on occasion, and I the old the oldies, and I do love hearing that song. And I'm sure every time I won, all my friends hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. Jane, in a couple of months, you have the Senior LPGA Championship, July or June twenty sixth through July second, up in Jasper, Indiana. Annika came out of retirement last year to play in some of the LPGA Senior events. I had Susie Whaley on the show last week. She's going to be playing in some of those events this year. Julie Inkster has also been on the show, and I, I know out there playing on that tour with you guys. Talk about the Senior LPGA Championship and what you guys have scheduled on the Senior LPGA Tour this year. Well, I you know I have some thoughts on that, and uh, you know, I you, 
you know I tend to speak my mind. Um, you know, the tournament is in Jasper, Indiana at Sultan's Run, uh, not too far from French Lick, which French Lick was fabulous for our, you know, originally our Legends Tour. And now it's, uh, let's see, Legends of the LPGA. That's like a tongue twister. But, uh, you know, the, the last year you had Annika and Kari Webb going head to head down the stretch. I mean, you couldn't have had a better finish. Too bad it wasn't on television. But it's my wish and, and I that the LPGA really made a commitment to make this LPGA Senior Championship a major significant event, you know, comparable to the PGA Senior event. It seems it's this... Um, the support is not where it should be. It should be really, should be a million dollar purse at least. Um, you know, gosh, you have the Chevron at 5 million. You've got the KPMG at 7 million, the AIG, you know, British at like five or 6 million. And I think the LPGA needs to be held accountable to really step up and do something extremely special, you know, in this era of equality. And I mentioned the tickets for the, uh, you know, the women's basketball being more than the men's. Um, I think that um, more needs to be done to support the great women of the LPGA who put us on the map. And Jane, to go take that a step further, I, I, I don't know if enough people realize the level of access at these tournaments that people have to the LPGA legends and the players that you get to walk so close to them and, and be more intimate with the players out on the LPGA Legends Tour. Let them know what it's like for the patrons or the spectators to come into an LPGA uh, Legends event and be right in it, right there next to the great players in the history of the game. Oh, I mean, it's fabulous. I mean, and then the names, you know, you mentioned Inkster, you know, Annika, Kari, you know, then you go to Pat Bradley, Nancy Lopez. Who doesn't, you know, it's not that, you know, yes, they're a little more mature than they were, but they can still play. So the quality of golf is, is, you know, absolutely top notch. Uh, and, um, you know, one of our best events is the BJ's team championship on Cape Cod happens to be at my club in Sandwich, the Ridge Club. And it's, oh gosh, I mean, thousands of spectators and it's so exciting. I mean, you see, uh, you know, Annika and Susie Whaley teamed up together, uh, Laura Davies and Chris Johnson and uh, Julie Inkster, Pat Hurst. Uh, Pat Bradley actually won it last year. And so, I mean, it's just a phenomenal event. So our, our tournaments are exciting. But we just need more of them. Jane, talk about what's on your schedule for, for the rest of this year. What do, what do you got coming up? Well, I'm getting ready. Uh, my partner in the PJ and the, uh, yeah, the BJ's event is, um, <clears throat> Patricia Manu Labouk, who won, uh, actually, she won the, uh, the dinosaur, uh, now called the Chevron. And actually, we have, I'll be traveling to Houston, uh, in about 10 days. We have a great past champions, uh, uh, event, uh, in Houston, which is, I'm so glad that Chevron is stepping up and supporting that initiative. So, uh, we have a great past champions dinner, you know, similar to the masters. Then we play a pro-am along with, uh, some of the great juniors from around the world and, uh, a lot of my, my former peers. And so, uh, I'm getting ready for the BJs. Uh, I'm not playing in the LPGA senior. Um, but then we have the women's U.S. senior open coming up and that's going to be in, in, uh, Portland, Oregon this year. 
So, you know, kudos to the USGA for keeping that event going. And that's a billion dollar purse. So, uh, you know, I think that is uh, it's ironical now that Mike Wan is leadership role. But quite honestly, my uh, my attention is really uh, on our uh, PGA women's clinics, I said, which has made such a difference for so many women uh, in the sport. So uh, I'm very proud of that accomplishment. Well, Jane, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and find out about what's going on with the clinics and all of that sort of thing, whether it's online or it's somewhere on social media? Yeah, well, my uh, Twitter is at Blaylock Jane. Uh, our, our website is pgawomensclinics.com and jbcgolf.com. So uh, that's kind of a, um, I don't have a lot of spare time, as you can tell. <laughs> and it's, uh, then as far as the legends, it's, uh, it's uh, legendsofthelpga.com. As I said, that's a mouthful, but legendsofthelpga.com. So uh, we appreciate your support and, uh, you know, keeping everything that I'm doing in front of um, your audience. Well, Jane, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill getting to spend some time with you. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again a little bit later on this summer and talk more about the great events that are coming up. Okay, I look forward to that, Chris. Thanks so much. You do a fabulous job. I appreciate you, Jane. Take care. All the best you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Okay. See you, Jane. That is the great Jane Blaylock, folks. And you want to talk about one of the great players in the history of our game. There's one right there. She's fantastic and doing so many great things to continue to help grow the women's game. And the the legends of the LPGA, folks, when you go to one of those tournaments, it's not like you're behind the ropes like we are at, at many LPGA events nowadays or PGA Tour events. You're right inside the ropes, walking with these legends, watching them play. Like Jane said, great golf still. And you get to be shoulder to shoulder with them and talk to them and, and ask questions and, and then watch and marvel at how great they still are at this game. You want to go to an event where you can get all sort of all access. You need to go to a Legends of the LPGA event. Go out online and check them out and, and, and make sure you're following them on social media because if an event is coming anywhere near you, you're going to want to go and check it out. They're great folks and they're still like Jane said great players. I'm honored to be working with them, and uh, I look forward to catching up with Jane here real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Keith Stewart, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at Squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. 
Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Now back in next on the tee with me is the host of the pro show, Keith Stewart. Keith is also a Class A teaching professional. Back in 2016, Keith was presented with the Horton Smith Award by the New Jersey PGA section, which is annually given to the PGA professional who is the model educator for PGA golf professionals. In 2019, he was named the section's PGA professional of the year. In 2012, he was recognized with the Bill Strasberg Award for being the PGA professional who displays outstanding integrity, character, and leadership. You can listen to his show on ESPN Radio AM 920 up in New Jersey or online at 920ESPNNewJersey.com. It's also available as a podcast just about everywhere you can go out and get your podcasting content. Last year, he started a new site called Read the Line, where he shares his insights that are spot on and better than you'll find anywhere out in the sporting world. If you follow his weekly tournament picks, you're going to be putting a lot more extra cash in your pockets. I got to spend some time with Keith last year at the Tour Championship here in Atlanta. Had a great time, learned an awful lot, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend? Oh, Chris, it's fantastic to be with you, and um, I can't believe you're not down the road at the Champions Dinner, that you have time for this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, my priorities, right? My priorities are in the right spot. It's it's show first, Augusta National, the Masters, and the Champions Dinner second. You know, it's just, that's that's the curse of uh, being dedicated to this show. Well, that's why Next on the Tee is so good. It's because of your dedication. You know, I, right. it's a tradition unlike any other. Now, right. and I love, I love how you made the little masters connection there by um, letting everybody know that I had won the Horton Smith Award, and uh, he was also one of the uh, early winners there of the event. Exactly right. And again, that's why you're so great at what you do, my friend. So, Keith, we got to jump right in because we respectfully disagree with one another about the issue of rolling the golf ball back. I listened to you and and our good friend Matthew Lawrence talk about it on his show this past weekend, Backspin Golf. So tell me why they shouldn't do it. I just think as somebody who spent their entire life like at a golf course, watching people struggle, teaching them to play the game, I just don't think that that's the right approach. I mean, as, as far as reading the room from the USGA or the RNA's perspective, the game is so popular right now, and and I would just I would I would rather see us work in other endeavors in order to keep that popularity maintained rather than to create more confusion. I'm not saying you know, I'm not saying necessarily that it's right or wrong. All I'm arguing the fact is that is this the right time to do this because the game is more popular than it's ever been. Uh, it's more popular than the Tiger Boom, and it, you know. Uh, I guess there was one good result of COVID, and that is is that golf has become just extremely, extremely popular, not just because of Top Golf, but because of all the men and women of the PGA of America, all the people like you, Chris, that engage people through golf media in order to grow the game. I mean, it's just it's just on such a it's it's on such a growth pattern. I hope that the confusion that they create with this story and with this news and then the blowback that 
is a result of it um just doesn't just doesn't pause how popular the game has become do you think that people will be less likely to either take the game up or continue to play the game if at the pro level they roll the golf ball back i just for as as so many people are saying we're talking about the one tenth of one percent with that are going to get impacted I'm, i'm not sure that anybody that's um you know uh an average golfer like myself, a weekend warrior, whatever, would look at it and say, you know what? Nah, those guys are rolling the ball back. I don't want to play anymore. No, I'm with you on that. I, you know, no one's um, crying sour grapes for Rory McIlroy or Scotty Scheffler or, or anyone like that, or e- even the guys on the Champions Tour that maybe bomb it a little bit too far. And, and that's what we're trying to regulate. That, that to me, um, isn't really the issue. I just, I just don't want there to be cr- any negative press in and around the game. You know, and there's going to be, you know, just like last year, uh, I'm not a big fan of live just because of the manner with which they went about things. And then all of the the disruption that it created at a time where the game was, was, you know, heading towards the stratosphere. Now, I I guess much like COVID created popularity, uh, live has created a PGA tour that you and I can get excited about these six designated events that we've witnessed already this year, getting the top 25 in the world going head to head pretty much like every other week has been fantastic. It's almost gotten to the point now where we get to the masters and we're like, well, geez, we're almost used to this Rory and Scotty and Rom play together like every other week. This is fantastic. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe there could be a, an, un, an unintended consequence that ends up being very positive. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to stop Rory McIlroy from being Rory McIlroy. I don't right. think it's going to stop the next mini tour player from being the next mini tour player. What I do think it's going to stop is around the golf shops, the men and women of the PGA of America, the golf course operators, the general managers, all of those folks that are trying to organize golf on a daily basis at the grassroots level, they are going to end up spending a lot of time answering a lot of questions that really do only apply to the top 1%. And um, there's better use of their time, Chris. You know that. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's switch gears. And uh, obviously, here we are. It's Masters Week, my favorite week of the year. What are you looking forward to seeing when we get to the to tournament proper on Thursday? Well, I, you know, I kind of slighted them right there, but there's a big, I mean, there's a big elephant in the room. These live guys are back and they supposedly left. And I believe them, you know, obviously for the money, but also because they wanted to play less golf and they wanted to be more prepared for these major championships. Well, most of them have only played six events since the last major championship, which was 263 days ago, that open championship where Cam Smith grabbed the Claret Jug away from Rory, right? And Cam Smith's one of those guys that, man, I, I, I certainly am interested to see how he will play this week. We saw Brooks play pretty good last week, but is Orange County National in Orlando a resort or is that Riviera? You know, I, I, I don't know how to tell. So, Really, the only way we can tell, Chris, is to kind of look to see what happens this week, at least over the first 36 holes, and see if a couple of these guys can get into contention. I mean, there's only 88 guys in the field, so you're looking at you know more than 20% is from the Live Tour. There's 18 of them. So uh, I'm excited to see that storyline play out. I think there's a lot of pressure on those guys to back up their kind of their new career strategy in playing less and you know getting more prepared for these majors. I also want to see the big three go head to head in the first major championship of the year. I think that uh, in a lot of ways, I love how you connect past generations with the modern golfers and you, and you talk so much about PGA tour champions or 
you know, there was the big three, you know, Arnold and Gary and Jack, and then maybe Arnold stepped away and Tom Watson was there or Lee Trevino. I mean, like all of those names over the years, they kind of always, there was always a couple guys at the top and we've got three really, really big stars at the top right now at the men's game. And, uh, to see them go to this first major championship, you you know what's on their mind. It's got green thread, and that's it. So um, I, I, I'm excited to see that play out, too. Um, I, I think those two storylines are enough to keep my attention for the next uh, uh, four or five days. Do you think we could be seeing a new era of Big Three? Because to your point, between Scotty, John Rahm, and Rory, those guys have sort of handed the number one world ranking back and forth to one another so far this year. Could we be in for a new era of big three? You know, it's three right now, but I think it's going to be more like five when it's all said and done. I think it's just going to be a revolving door amongst that top five or six in the world. Because when you look at all five or six of them, if you start to include your Patrick Cantleys and your Cam Smiths, yeah, I said Cam Smith and your JTs and those guys, you, you really start, I mean, Max Holm is top five in the world right now. I mean, again, you know, this is kind of like, um, you know, one of those, we have champagne problems, you and I, Chris, you know, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, you may not be aware of this, but I'm telling you tonight, I was, you and I, um, we, we sit and we watch week after week and you look at these storylines that just play themselves out and it's fantastic. You know, Corey Connors going back to a place where he Monday qualified and then he wins again. He wins twice at the Valero, you know, the week before we have the match play and we get down where, oh, it's going to be Rory and Scotty. And the next thing you know, it's, it's. You know, Sam Burns, a young superstar against Cam Young, another young superstar. I think it's just it's kind of like an explosion of riches because we are truly in the Tiger generation of golfers. So all of these kids are now hyper athletes. You know, they have an incredible amount of speed in their golf game and their scoring ability. They're fearless. So we get to see just the best golf in the world. And it, don't get me wrong. It's not just contained to the men's game. I see it all the time when I'm out covering the LPGA as well. You look at Nelly Korda and Lexi Thompson and um, Minji Lee and Jin Young Ko, and you look at all of them go head-to-head all the time. And the scoring there is prolific as well. I mean, it's just the game has evolved, and I can guarantee you this much. Much like the 13th hole at Augusta this week, you can change it all you want, but these players are so good. They're descendants of Darwin. They're going to evolve their games, and they're going to figure out another way to make eagles around Amen Corner. I'm telling you. And the men and women will do it. You can roll the ball back, and they will still find a way to hit it because they're going to continue to get more and more advanced and understand the game more and more. The equipment's there. The teachers you have on all the time, they know as well. You know, We keep getting smarter and smarter over time, and it just gets more and more exciting for us, the fans. Keith, I know you're also a big Tiger fan, and to me, it was a huge feat for him last year just to make the cut. I don't know what it took out of him because we didn't see him much after that. He only played nine rounds all year, and those were four of them. He made the cut earlier this year at Riviera, which isn't nearly the difficult walk that Augusta National is, and he said that he was in more pain than he let on that week. What are your expectations for him this week? Well, I think the biggest thing when it comes to expectations around Tiger, I was at Riv this year. I walked with him for the Pro-Am day, super cold and windy that day. He skipped a couple holes. Um, first three rounds I was with him and, uh, each of them, when he got to the back nine, I was close enough where you could hear him, you know, starting to huff and puff a little bit, you know? So all of that, you know, um, press room responses that we keep hearing from him, that he's 
just not in shape to walk like that. He's definitely struggling with that. That's an issue. So when it comes to expectations for weeks like Augusta, Georgia, and it's 85 degrees out and it's sunny, I think we could think great things about Tiger. He knows the golf course. He's won there five times. I think he can get around for four days. I think you throw at him what we're going to have this weekend where the temperatures drip, you know, dip down to the 50s and 60s. And it's the same thing that I saw last year in Tulsa and Southern Hills. You know, the first couple of days he makes the cut. Great charge on Friday. You could hear the roars coming around Southern Hills. Oh, Tiger's making a run. He shoots 69. He gets inside the cut line. He comes out the next morning. The temperature drops 35 degrees. He can't move his back. That's the problem. His leg, you know, it's part mechanical. That thing's frozen. And then next thing you know, the guy, the poor guy can't play. I mean, he could play golf, but he can't play golf. And I think a lot of that goes towards how innovative he's become looking forward and how he's going to preserve his legacy in place in the game when it comes to that TGL, which everyone's so excited about. He doesn't have to walk around, but people can still root and cheer for him and see him hit magical shots, which is really all we want to do. But for this week, somebody's got to turn on the heat lamp out there because if they don't for this weekend, I think he'll make the cut. He's done it 22 of 22 times as a professional, Chris. You know that. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't warm up over the weekend, he's going to struggle to get around, which is, you know, this is a hard, hard golf course. He, you know, he'll probably end up somewhere where he did last year, which is towards the bottom half of the pack after the weekend's done. So who's on your short list that uh, you think could be, you know, come late Sunday afternoon, who's at the top of the leaderboard? Well, I, I'll just get it out in the open. I, I just don't see how Scotty loses right really? now. Uh, I, I just don't see it. I don't. And you could throw the Rory story at me and he's had nine times to complete, you know, the career grand slam. And it seems to kind of consume him each, each year, this, you know, as he travels down Magnolia lane, I don't know. Uh, he does seem very calm this year. He seems like his game is in good enough order, but his game's been in great order before heading into. He's had wins, and he's headed into uh, Masters Week with a lot of momentum. He's got tons right now. I don't know. I think there will come a point where it will happen, and maybe that's this year. But with Scotty out there, I don't know. He's so tough. And, you know, a lot of people talk about Rom. They love to mention his you know, his couple of top tens that he had, what, four top tens in a row before last year's, kind of like he faded back into the pack. But Rom's never started a Sunday within six shots of the lead, Chris. So all of those top tens were just a great round on Sunday when it comes down to it. I want to see John Rom at Augusta National in the final group. And I want to see what happens, all right? Because that's where men are made when it comes to the Masters. So at the top of the board, it's Scotty's world right now, and we're all just happy to watch it. And uh, you know, if you're if you're down Route 20 over there outside of Atlanta, then you're eating dinner, and you know it's dedicated to him. So I mean, there's <laughs> going to be there's a theme there. Now you could come back to me, and you could say, you know, no one that has won has finished in the top ten since 2007, and I would say, Chris, you're absolutely right. But there was a time when three other guys won and successfully defended their title. And I'm sure there were statistics that they faced that seemed unbeatable. But Tiger Woods, Sir Nick Faldo, and Jack Nicholas seemed to get it done. And if I asked you this question, do you think Scotty's game, the way he's played for the last year and a half or so, is in the echelon of where those guys were when they were on a, you know, a similar heater? Yeah. No, I'm with you. Look, Scotty's as good as anybody has been, to your point, over the last 18 months. You know, you, you're going to lose a lot of money by betting against Scotty Scheffler this week. So I think he's definitely going to be on, you know, that, that 
in in and around the top of the leaderboard. I think there are going to be some other guys, but I wouldn't bet against Scotty going back to back. Now let's 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 kind of flip it a little bit though. Who's a dark horse? Do you think could come out of the pack and get get a win? Well, you make an excellent point there. You're not going to lose a lot of money betting Scotty, but you're not going to make a lot of money betting Scotty, and that's the problem right now. It's like going back to my early days of you know watching the betting boards when Tiger was in his prime, and you're like, okay, well, how do you not bet Tiger because he's going to win? But then when you bet Tiger, there's just no reward, right? So we got to look a little further down the board, and you get to that middle tier of guy, right? That's somebody that's maybe in the 20 to one range, 30 to one range, 40 to one range. And there's a great collection right there of guys, whether it be Xander or Jason Day, which everyone feels is a very popular and sentimental pick this year. But one of the guys I really love in that grouping is Tony Finau this year. Is that right? I love Tony Finau. And I'm telling you, how many other guys have three wins since the last major championship? You could say John Rahm, but you can't say Rory McIlroy. And you can't say Scotty Scheffler. He doesn't have three wins since the last major championship. Since since Tony Finau won in Houston, Chris, his strokes gained approach, his iron game, which is where, you know, we hear it at nauseum this week. This is a second shot golf course against the national, blah, 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 right? But <laughs> his his iron game, he, he flights the ball super high. He's got the length to contend there. And he's he's just been absolutely phenomenal throughout the bag with his irons since he won in Houston. He's just been so consistent. And granted, he hasn't won, but he's finished in the top 25 every single week, which means that, well, maybe the putting didn't click or maybe it wasn't the right golf course for him, but he's striking the ball as good as the big three. He just doesn't win or carry as much media momentum as those guys do. You know, you watch his show, um, his episode on Full Swing, and it was all about family, and his wife was really the superstar. And that, and that kind of gives you a reason why somebody like he kind of fades into the background, but his play is something that I feel like could really become a superstar this week. And we mentioned Tiger Woods earlier. Everybody forgets in 2019 who was in that final group with him, right? And it was Francisco Molinari and Tony Finau. Tony got to watch Tiger pick that place apart on the final day and grab his fifth green jacket. I think little moments like that in the past 10 months all the confidence he's gained. I just love Tony coming into this week. And uh, obviously Rory's the number one story. If Rory wins, it's, you know, it's the sentimental uh, superhero of the week. There's no doubt about it, but uh, I don't think there'd be a lot of upset people. If Tony Finau were to take home the green jacket as well. Yeah, no, not at all. Tony would be a very popular winner. And uh, you know, as a guy that, you know, the smile is infectious with Tony. And even to your point about the Netflix show, I mean, it's good to see him and the family and all that sort of stuff and how important that is to him. I think if he were to be putting on a green jacket come Sunday evening, he would be a very, very popular winner. So let's talk about picks because you're the best at it. I, I, I can't imagine that there's anybody on the planet now or ever that is better at picking winners than you are to your point earlier, not only on the PGA tour, but on the LPGA tour, talk about readtheline.com and, and how you go about making your selections because it's not an emotional pick. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because it's just been, um, it's been a very interesting transition in my career. You know, you know me 
as a PGA professional and the times that you've introduced me to your listeners, and I've been fortunate enough to be on Next on the Tee, uh, I came across as a golf course operator, head golf professional, and also somebody that had a radio show on the side. And with golf's popularity, there's been all these opportunities to, with all due respect to Greg Norman, grow the game, you know? And I, I think that the way you do it, is super thoughtful. And, you know, I look towards people like you as inspiration in order to try to do my own thing. And, and having grown up in New Jersey, uh, I like to place a wager every once in a while. And when Congress made it legal for certain state for the states to decide, I always kind of thought in the background, I said, well, you know what? Golf could be really popular as a betting sport, as a form of entertainment. And I want to keep it as a form of entertainment. I'm a PGA professional. I'm not, I'm not out here in back alleys collecting cash and breaking knees. You know what I mean? I'm just out there trying to get people more and more excited about the game that you and I love and we love to talk about. So I put together this business, Read the Line, where we create a news or I create a newsletter every week and I go around and I cover the LPGA and the PGA Tour. Yes, of all things, I cover LPGA golf betting because I love to go out and I love to figure out the storylines and the puzzle week after week for both the men and the women. And then I come up with a narrative because in order for me to figure out who's going to win, I've got to figure out what the story would be, Chris. Like if you were going to win the Masters this year, I would have to study your game and I would love to see you out on tour. And then I would follow you along. I'd kind of get to know you a little bit. But at the same time, I have to do it from afar because from an integrity point of view, I just have to kind of like, you know, observe what's happening from, you know, my PGA professional eyes. And then from there say, oh, wow, you know what? Chris's game really matches Augusta National Golf Club. He is a great iron player. He's long off the tee, and he's incredibly creative with his short game. I think I'm going to put him on my short list this week. And because I approach week after week for the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour from a professional's perspective and not a from, st- from a statistical perspective, we've had a lot of success. And um, I'm very proud of that because it, it goes back to all the people that taught me the game and then the people that I taught that taught me back during those lessons. The times I've spent playing professionally and, you know, succeeding, but more often than not failing. And you learn what it takes in order to win. And that's why over the course of the last, uh, what is it, 13 months or so, we've had 15 different winners on the two major tours. And, you know, that win rate has created a lot of excitement in around Read the Line. And, you know, if folks are interested in the story I'm telling, just send them to readtheline.com and they can subscribe for free to start. And, um, you know, the no better time than master's week for sure. So Keith is, is that the main crux of what we need to know to be a successful better? I, I'm guessing there's a little more education that we need to be an, a, a good, better an educated better. What are some things that we need to know in order to be successful at this beyond just read the line? Because I know that that's, that's the key to it all. Well, you make a powerful point there, Chris, a big reason why I started this is that because I felt like there was, a disconnect between the media, um, the operators, that would be like your DraftKings and your FanDuel's, and the fans. You know, at the end of the day, all golfers bet. It's part of the fabric of the game. You know, and I'm not talking about when you and I watch the Masters and we're texting each other and I say, okay, I, I think Scotty's going to birdie this hole and Rory won't for $5 or something. What I'm talking about is that when you and I go play, we might, we'll have a match for 18 holes or we'll do something. So it was just one of those things where it always surprised me that when it came to actually betting on golf, that most players, fans, casual golfers, avid golfers, they didn't know what to do. 
So my PGA brain kicked in and I was like, man, I would love to educate people on what to do because I have so much fun when I have $10 on Scotty Scheffler on Sunday at the Players Championship and I feel some of the nervous butterflies that he feels. And you and I will never feel those things, but you throw five bucks down and then you're following Jason Day and he makes his first win in like five years or six years, whatever it's going to be. You're going to be ecstatic and you're going to be so connected. Uh, Just this past Sunday, I had guys texting me because we had Georgia Hall out in LA for the LA Open for the LPGA. And she came in second, but she had a putt on the last hole to tie to go to a playoff. And my phone's blowing up and everyone's, you know, they're DMing me on social media. Everyone's so excited. They're like, I'm watching the LPGA. This is great. Blah, blah. You know, they're going nuts. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, that's the whole reason why I did this. It is to educate people. It's to make them go and have fun and, and, and gain a larger connection to the game in a way that the first time I went and experienced top golf, I said, oh, these folks got it down right. I was like, this is like, this is like such a paradigm shift in thinking about how we would approach getting people excited about golf. And I've taken that sort of mentality and I've put my own spin on it. And, you know, if you go and you read my newsletter week after week, or if you follow me on TikTok or whatever, and you see my content, you will constantly see that this is all about finding a new way to entertain golfers, maybe make a little money, but that's that's not the number one priority. The number one priority is to get people so excited that it's like Tiger just won the Masters on Sunday, and you you can't wait for the sun to rise the next day so you can run to the range and hit one shot that feels or looks like what you saw on Sunday at Augusta. And that, to me, is why I wake up every day and I work tirelessly and travel all over this country in order to try to promote the game in my way. And it's been really cool to have people like you reach out and just say, I watch what you're doing. And this is like new and it's like trailblazing. And you know what? Hey, I wish there was Clark because I know I'm Lewis and I'm just running around the country trying to figure (laughs) this whole thing out. You know, I mean, are you free? You want to join me? Because um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the reaction that I'm getting from not just mainstream media, but from from the people that subscribe or uh, the people that listen to these shows and then they reach out to you or they say, wow, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at things. And um, I take a lot of pride in that. And I'm I'm, I'm just excited that um, two or two and a half years into building this company that it's still going forward. And it's, you know, it's like we're really close to that to that Gladwell point of, of it, the thing just tipping and going out of control. And then then I won't be able to do it without Clark. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm rooting hard for that to actually be the case for you. And and um, one of the things that I admire and enjoy most about you is is the enthusiasm you have for all of this because that stuff becomes infectious. So I think you and just just in what you're doing, you and your personality, you and the activities you're doing, you and read the line are making a difference in our game. Everyone talks about growing the game, and we're going to talk more about that in a second. But because of how you approach things and the way that you go about it, you are impacting the growth of the game. And I can't thank you enough for what you're doing to make it different and better. And both of those things, different and better, is what the game has needed for a long time. And you are making that that come to uh, to a head and to reality. So thank you so much for that. Hey, my my why statement stems from the fact, um, and it comes from people like you, Chris, you know, I wanted to change the narrative around the game. I felt like there were a number of headwinds that I experienced for multiple decades being a golf course operator. 
where people would come to me and they'd say, well, I can't do that. I can't do this. Or, uh, you know, I, I just, there's just so many things that I saw at the grassroots level. And I said, we could, I, I could do a better job at this. I'm going to point the finger at me. I can do a better job at this. And then I started to really started to reach out to the whole ecosystem. And I started to hear people like you. And I said, well, he's telling a different story. I could tell, I could tell my own different story. There's plenty of people that want to listen. And because people like you have the courage and the bravery to go out and do it and set an example, others like myself, you know, we find the same level of, you know, self-belief. And then we're going to run out. We're going to do our thing too. And next thing you know, you know, your show is always just a red carpet of one person and after another that's completely inspirational. And I don't care if you play golf or not, but at the end of the day, if you just listen to next on the tee, you'll be the next one on the tee. You'll be the one, you, the listener, you will be the one that's going to set a goal and you're going to achieve it. And you're going to just keep just knocking down hurdles in your life because it's so inspirational to hear this show week after week, go on and on. And the people that come on and they are changing the narrative around the game. And the more I worked on it, the more I noticed it and the more it became infectious to me. And then the next thing you know, I mean, look at the popularity of the game right now. It's so exciting. Everybody is transfixed on Augusta National this week. Even the people outside of the golf stratosphere, right? You know it, Chris. Everybody's concerned about what are Scotty style sliders? What what is going to happen with Liv tonight? You know, what diet is Phil Mickelson on? I mean, everything. You know, they just can't stop themselves. They they're so they're so intoxicated by the game. And as somebody who spent my whole life in and around a golf course, I mean, I just couldn't be happier. Keith, just a couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned Top Golf a few minutes ago and talking about growing the game in a different way. We saw a new Masters video game introduced over the weekend. It's going to get re-aired on Wednesday night. We have Top Golf now. We have the new Tiger and Rory League that's going to be coming out soon. What are your thoughts on growing the game in this very different way? Well, okay. So again, all due respect to Liv, what they're doing isn't any different. They think it's different, but they're taking great players and they're putting them on TV or streaming or whatever you're doing, and they're running a golf tournament. To truly, I guess, break through to a new audience, you either have to have a new target, you have to have a new way of connecting with them. I mean, there's all there's all these different ways we're starting to see that get me way more excited than just another league. And they're like, oh, we're going to wear shorts. I'm like, really? I mean, all the amateurs already wear shorts. You know, and oh, we're going to do shotguns. Okay. Uh, I, I've ran like, I don't know, 5,000 tournaments in my career and they've all been shotguns. So, like, you're not, there's nothing groundbreaking about what they're doing, you know, what they're selling. You know what I mean? It's still just a golf tournament, right? Now you turn around and you have something like Top Golf or you have Tiger's Pop Stroke or you have something like this TGL, this Arena League. There's a completely different consumer, just like EA Sports or whomever's putting out that, um, or if it's, uh, 2K Sports that's putting out that video game. There's a completely different consumer there, to your point, right? This TGL League, uh, I went down to the groundbreaking at Palm Beach State College in Florida. And there was 100 executives there, whatever, some media members. And then we got to listen to Tiger and Rory. And, you know, they talked about why they wanted to do this and everything and what it would do for the community down there that they live in and how it would benefit everybody. And all I could think about was, Man, I remember scrubbing hooks as a kid in the bag room at my touching golf and country club. And not in a million years did I think that like a, 
if I was 15 years old, I could watch the best golfers in the world basically play a video game in an arena surrounded by 10,000 people that, you know, would come on week after week where the best golfers in the world go head to head. I mean, that to me is doing something different. And those are the things that really catch my attention. And that's what's kind of inspires me week to week to tell the stories that I do is that there's, there's a different way of doing it and it could still all be good. Again, you know, to go back to where we started, I'm not against changing the golf ball. I just don't want there to be any confusion about what's going on in the game. We have so much positive momentum. Just keep bringing people in. We got plenty of men and women in the PGA of America that are, that, that are just dying to help these people, right? We, you know, and, and teach them the game and get them excited about the game. Just keep bringing them to us. Keith, before I let you go, remind our listeners again all the ways they can stay up with you and stay up to date with you and all the great things that you're doing. Again, online, readtheline.com, but also on social media and your show. Okay, well, the best thing to do at this point, almost everything that I do traffic-wise, channels through readtheline.com. You can find my articles on SI Golf. So if you go to Sports Illustrated's digital uh, website, you can go to the Sporting News uh, I also write for the LPGA, so you can go to the LPGA.com. Uh, the PGA of America, the PGA Championships coming up, KPMG and the Ryder Cup. You'll find my content in and around that. You can also find me. I just recently um, signed a new partnership with the PGA Tour, so you'll be able to find me there on their golf betting brand, which is called Golf Bet. Um, all sorts of cool growth things are going on here. I mean, that's the easiest way to find me. Of course, I'm on Twitter. Uh, either at Read the Line or at KJ Stewart PGA Instagram. And uh, if you're into any fun whatsoever, you got to go to TikTok. Uh, there's like 10,000 people there. I don't know why they follow me, but they inspire me. So I just keep doing crazy things. And um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So any of those places right there, Mr. Mascaro, you can, uh, you can certainly um, figure out what I'm up to. Keith, you're outstanding, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. As I said a minute ago, your enthusiasm is infectious. That's what I love most about you. And on top of that, you're one of the smartest guys I know. So thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show tonight. Chris, do we have a second? Can I ask you two quick questions? Certainly. Who inspires you? Wow. So that's a that's an interesting question. Um, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you right off the top of my head, there's a couple of things that inspire me every day. One is my family, and I think that's that's a stereotypical answer. Sure, um, but, but beyond, important. Yeah, but beyond that, I have I have my own sort of set of dreams that uh, that I'm striving to get to stuff that touches my heart and touches my mind. So it's people like you, it's people like um, those out on the PGA Tour that I admire, the Jordan Spieth of the world, it's the Jack Nicklauses of the world, it's the Gary Players of the world. Um, and w- knowing what they went through and how hard they work and, uh, what they're doing, um, uh, those things inspire me to, uh, I see greatness and I want to be like that. Um, Brian Katrick, who I have the privilege of working with as somebody else that inspires me through the great work he does on Sirius XM. So you could stack a, a lot of guys together. And then over on the women's side, you heard Jane Blaylock a few minutes ago. Uh, Jane's become a wonderful friend. Uh, she inspires me to ask the different question, just like you mentioned a moment ago, right? Ask the different question, ask the why question, and then go after what you're trying to get done. Though 
those individuals uh, really inspire me. You know what? You know why this show is great? For the simple way you answered that question. You are just the most infectious guy in the world. Now, one quick question. Who wins the Masters in your opinion? <laughs> uh, I've picked JT all week long. Uh, okay. I, I was I was inspired by that pick by Susie Whaley. I can't take complete credit for it. Um, she told me last week why JT was going to win, and I bought in. So I'm I'm going to stick with that. I'm rooting hard for him, and I'm a huge Jordan Spieth fan. Um, the the one thing that uh, worries me about Jordan is if he had a lead on Sunday, what it would be like for him to walk up to the 12th tee. I think oh. we would all be scared of what might happen next. So I and and I really hope that that's what happens. I hope he goes to the 12th tee with a lead and and he actually pulls the shot off and gets the monkey off his back and lives happily ever after. As a as a two or multiple time Masters champion, I want to see him get that off of his uh, off of his mind and and, and the ghosts that are in there uh, from uh, from 2016. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really hoping for that. But I think JT wins. Well, you know what I'm really hoping for? What's that? I get one more invite to this show someday. Oh, you know you're going to get more than one invite to this show. So I thank you so much for taking your time to to come back tonight. And look forward to the trips number three, four, five, and beyond. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. All right. Let's keep in touch. I enjoyed Atlanta last year and um, enjoy the Masters. You do the same. Take care, Keith. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. That is the great Keith Stewart, folks. And the great thing that I love about Keith, like I said a moment ago, is his enthusiasm and his inspiration for wanting to do things differently and better. Like he said, he saw something that he could, he thought to himself, I can do this better. And then he went out and did it better. I love that. I love individuals that do that kind of thing. They see an opportunity. They see something that they feel like isn't being done the best way or, you know, a new and innovative way. We're doing it the same way over and over again. And they say to themselves, I can do this differently or better. And then they go out and execute different and better. I love that about Keith. He's a wonderful guy. His stuff, again, folks, you got to subscribe to read the line because I promise you there is nobody that picks more winners than Keith does. And he does it uh, in a very scientific sort of way. It isn't an emotional pick. He does the research. He spends the time and he's going to tell you who's going to win a golf tournament. And more often than most or more often than any, he's right. So get out there and, and check it out. I look forward to catching up with Keith again very soon. All right, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again go out to Tom Patrick, Donnie Hammond, Jane Blaylock, and Keith Stewart for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are the best radio golf broadcaster in the business. Brian Katrick will be back with me, as will our good friend and Champions Tour Pro, Owen Brown. The president of the South Florida PGA section, Jeff Lofsted, will make his next on the tee debut. Plus, we'll get a return visit from the host of the Augusta Golf Show, John Patrick. Folks, you can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcasting content. In particular, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my sincere thanks to the folks over at Good Pods for making Next on the Tee one of their recommended podcasts. Download their app free and stream your favorite podcast right there on your favorite device. Most of all, folks, I am thankful for you. 
for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.